0: Stand with me, Sid, and stand with WABC as we honor those who protect and serve. ThinBlueLineUSA.com. Once again, use the code word SID. Talk Radio 77
1: WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning.
0: From our friends. 77 WABC.
2: He'd flown more than 2,000 combat missions. And he received a silver star, a bronze star, two distinguished flying crosses, and 43 air medals. Taylor received a direct order, return to base. His response was just as direct, I'm getting my men out. He refused to give up, refused to leave a fellow American behind, refused to put his own life above the lives of others in need.
0: You too. Bullet the Blue Sky. is a great song, Lou Rubino. You heard there from uh, the president, Joe Biden, who's just, every sentence is an issue with that guy. He's just, he's just a complete mess. Even this, giving Larry Taylor the Medal of Honor, and deservedly so, that guy is decorated like my next guest, Jack Jacobs. But he can't even get through that. It's just tough. But, again, my next guest is uh, decorated uh, to the hilt, and he should be. He's an American hero, been coming on uh, this station for a long time, back to the days with Imus and many years with me, too. And he's a super guy, Colonel Jack Jacobs. Uh, Mr. Jacobs, good morning. How are you? Good
2: morning, sir. I'm doing well. Thanks.
0: Nice to talk to you. Did you know Larry Taylor? I know there's a lot of folks who served in Vietnam, but did you know him?
2: No I uh, never met him, and unfortunately didn't get a chance to go to the ceremony either it was uh tied up. They usually invite uh Medal of honor recipients to go and they keep a row or two uh separate for the uh recipients who want to go uh want to go and there's a number of them who that lives around uh d c area who typically attend these ceremonies but i couldn't i couldn't be there said.
0: How many living medal of honor recipients do you know this maybe you don't know this, but how many living are there? Well,
2: well, we got 66 now, but it's interesting to note that when I was decorated, there were almost 400 living wow. recipients. Wow. Uh it tells you what happened. And we had, there was still a living recipient from the Boxer Rebellion when I was decorated. <laughs> uh, seriously. Wow. A guy, a, a guy named Bill Seach, who had conducted a bayonet charge against the Citadel at Beijing in 1900 during the Boxer Rebellion. He was still alive. And, of course, uh, all those guys, all the World War II guys are are, are all gone now.
0: They're all gone. And um, what year did you get your Medal of Honor? What year was that?
2: Uh, My action was in 1968, and the uh, ceremony was in 69, about 18 months after the action.
0: The greatest year in the history of New York. Jets, Mets, Knicks, I mean the Rangers, excuse me, the Knicks. The uh, Woodstock man walked on the moon. What a great year! Uh, and and now of the sixty six that are still alive, I guess this may be a stupid assumption. but I'm going to assume most are Vietnam vets. Yes.
2: Yeah, the majority of uh, living recipients now are Vietnam veterans. There's an increasing number, obviously, from the war on terror as time goes on. But there's there's always a look back to see who uh, who would have been missed and. Uh, to reevaluate the recommendations from years past, there have been a lot of there have been a lot of ceremonies since I was decorated uh, uh, of people who, some of whom have passed away or were killed in action, uh, who should have received the medal but didn't for a wide variety of reasons.
0: You know, you mentioned the war on terror, Jack, and uh, Colonel Jack Jacobs, and this is why I brought you on because uh, last week it was one year. Since that really dreadful exit in Afghanistan, and I don't know if you blame Biden or not. I do. I'm, I'm very. I, mean, I hate Biden. I got to be honest. I hate him. I hate this administration. I think they're cowards. I think they're irresponsible, and I think they've done a really lousy job with our military. And uh, they are the sole reason why 13 brave American souls are dead. And to see Joe Biden check his watch like the movie Clute with Jane Fonda when he was at the uh, you know the memorial service for these people really made me nauseous. But let me ask you what you think the uh, the exit from Afghanistan a year later what are your thoughts on all that
2: Well that was a that was an absolutely awful uh, mess and and, uh, and I've said this before and if you evaluate the whole thing from the standpoint of somebody who uh, from a combat person you got to realize a number of things first of all that operations plan had been in existence since 2008 and every year The combatant commander has to submit all of their operations plans to the chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff, certifying that it it will work, that the troop list is the right troop list, that the plan is supported properly, and so on. And if there are any changes to the previous year's plan, they submit that, too. So that plan had been in existence for a long, long time. Um, All the general officers. In the, all the services had been in and out of Afghanistan for a decade they knew exactly how many people it took to secure the embassy the route from the embassy to the airfield uh, to secure the airfield it's interesting to note that the we gave up Bagram air base which was a much better place from which to evacuate we had already given it up thereby putting all of our forces at risk the first thing that happened when the when the ground component commander got there for the evacuation, the first thing he had to do was commit the reserve. Uh, that indicates to everybody that the troop list was insufficient in the wrong troop list. Uh, there's the, the rest of it, the the outcome was obvious, obviously going to happen. So it was poorly planned and very poorly executed. And uh, there should be a great lesson here about what to do if, as and when, we have to do something like that again. I hope all the general officers and all administrations now and in the future understand what happened in Afghanistan and don't let it happen again.
0: Well said. I mean, I think we all wanted our folks out of there. It had been long enough, Iraq and Afghanistan, but not the way they did it. My good buddy Tom Sloan, who's a hero, Secret Service guy, he says the New York Stock Exchange hosts a special dinner every year to celebrate these living heroes. The colonel is amazing I once had a private dinner with him but I doubt he'd remember it. Great show today, send my regards. So uh before we get back to the Afghanistan discussion, are you still going to the New York Stock Exchange dinner every year? Is that still going on?
2: No, it's not still going on, unfortunately. Uh we we used to get together every other year when I was first decorated all recipients. Now we get together every year, it's in a different city each each year. It's in New Orleans God, this, this New Orleans. year. We don't We don't, yeah, not bad. But we don't get together. We're not getting together. We don't get together in New York very often anymore. Okay.
0: So we are now just five days away, as you know, uh, Colonel Jack Jacobs, uh, from the 22 year commemoration. I hate to use the word anniversary for horrible events, so I use commemoration of 9 11. And uh, here I am on 49th and 3rd, not all that far from ground zero, right down the heart of New York City. And I was talking uh, this week alone to Rudy Giuliani and a bunch of folks, and uh, certain days it feels like 100 years ago, and certain days it feels like yesterday, but there seems to be a large consensus that it ain't over, that after this Afghanistan exit, that ISIS and, and, uh, you know, the Taliban and... And al-Qaeda and all these groups are actually resurfacing again and gaining strength again. Peter King went to Washington, D.C. about a month and a half ago and said, hey, that should be one of our number one concerns. You agree with that or you think it's in the past?
2: No, things like that are never in the past. Uh, Who is it? George Santayana, who wrote Those Who Ignore History Are Doomed to Repeat It. Uh, We have to be forever vigilant. And just because we think it's over doesn't mean that it's over. Uh, We need to redouble our efforts to keep our intelligence up to speed, and we pay attention to not only threats that exist now, but potential threats. We're better at it now than we used to be, but we're never going to be perfect. We have to make sure that we keep keep our ear to the ground and our eyes forward so that we don't make the same mistakes again. It was a big intelligence failure, and it shouldn't happen again.
1: I see. Or email them at info at GaboLaw.com. That's G-A-B-O-Law.com. GaboLaw, where winning is no accident.
0: Are you surprised? I asked this of Gordon Chang yesterday, and, and he said yes, and, and I'm also surprised. Are you surprised, Colonel Jack, that Ukraine-Russia is into its 19th month?
2: Uh, no. Really? Uh, yeah, a lot of people thought that they were going to roll over the Ukrainians, but uh, for a wide variety of reasons, they could not. Uh, one of the things to keep in mind is that the Russians, who probably have learned a great deal from their failures at the beginning of the war, uh, were are, are terrible at prosecuting uh, uh, prosecuting conflicts like this. They have only top-down management. If you get an order, you're allowed to follow the order, but not deviate from it. Uh, they have no NCO Corps, noncommissioned officer corps, worthy of the name. Their officers below the grade of about colonel are not very good at what they do. Uh, the result is that they follow orders to the letter, which means that they can't improvise on the battlefield. And those of us who've been in combat can tell you that the first thing that falls apart, the first thing that, that doesn't work when you get into combat is the plan. We teach our troops to do exactly the opposite. Here's the order. Go up there and turn right. But if they try to turn right and they can't do it, they know that they gotta turn left or do something else. They have to improvise in the battlefield. Russian troops are not allowed to do any of that stuff. Wow. Which is one reason why they've lost so many general officers. Now they've learned something in all this and they're a little bit better at it than they used to be. They're at an advantage now because they're in the defense and in defense and you have to have a three to one ratio if you want to attack. A at minimum a three to one ratio if you're gonna attack people who were defending and particularly defending in depth, as the Russians are with big minefields and so on. The Ukrainians are starting to make some progress because they found some weaknesses in the line down in the southeast. But it's going to be a long slog. And those people who spent a lot of time studying these kinds of things knew from the very beginning that it was not going to be easy for the Russians, especially because of all the tactical mistakes that they made trying to take Kiev and so on. So, no, it's not a surprise to professional soldiers that the Russians didn't do well. But they, they may be crazy, but they're not stupid, and they probably learned from their mistakes. Sid.
0: So interesting. With uh, football season starting, I'm a big giant fan, Colonel Jack, the Cowboys on Sunday, and Bills on Monday. That Basically, you said to me, the Russian Army can't audible.
2: They can't do what they, can't, they that's, a, that's a great <laughs> analogy. They can't. They can't all audible. Wow. Matter of fact, even if they could, they're not allowed.
0: They're not allowed. So uh, there's a lot of folks that believe, too, that this Russia-Ukraine war is just the opening act. And I hate saying that because so many people have died. I don't want to minimize what's happened here. But it's just the opening act for China versus. Could be us. Could be anybody. Your thoughts.
2: Well, uh, China's got some problems at the moment. And although they're continuing to expand in the eastern Mediterranean Western Mediterranean, uh, they've got uh, economic difficulties. Uh, Xi's power, uh, he's got a firm grip on power, but we don't know how long that's going to last, especially if their economic problems continue. Uh, the Chinese are inextricably intertwined with the North Koreans who are giving their technology away to the Russians uh, in exchange for a wide variety of things that the Russians, uh, that, uh, that the North Koreans need. So, uh, these are uh, these are problem times across the board for uh for American interests and allied interests and we have to do a much better job of solidifying our support among allies and erstwhile allies said
0: So without telling me who you're going to vote for in 2024 it doesn't matter but this is a question that needs to be asked because you just laid out a map of what's going on around the world and it's pretty scary if Donald Trump had won, if, I know it's hypothetical, if Donald Trump had won again in 2020, would we be seeing half, if any, of these conflicts we see today?
2: Oh, I, I think American politics don't have very much of an impact on what our principal adversaries do.
0: Oh, and okay, then, do. Then, then let me stop you. Then. then you explain to me, and you explain to me how when Obama's president, they go into Crimea. Trump is there for four years. I guess he got lucky. Nothing happened. And then as soon as Trump leaves, another Democrat, a Biden guy, by the way, they go into Ukraine. They go into Kiev. How does that happen? The guy before him, the guy after him, that the Russians attack and for four years. And by the way, Colonel, I never heard once China even, even flirt with going into Taiwan when Trump was president. Was that all luck?
2: Well, coincidence is not causation. A lot of things happen at the same time, and they just happen to be coincidences uh, and vagaries of international politics. As a general rule, I don't like to talk about politicians because it just encourages these people on both sides of the aisle. So, uh, But the fact of the matter is that the likelihood of China uh, making an advance on Taiwan is extremely low. Uh, for a wide variety of reasons, and the most significant of them is that the Chinese perceive that time is on their side, and that eventually they won't have to they won't have to invade Taiwan. The Taiwanese will ask to become part of China. There are very few people still alive who remember 1949. A recent poll on Taiwan: uh, the, the conclusions were that the large majority of people. They polled on Taiwan, didn't care whether or not they were a part of China or weren't part of China. And some of them even uh, – a, a, a significant minority suggested it would be a good thing, particularly economically, to be part of China. China knows this. They have the – they shoot for the long game, and they know that they don't have to get involved in any kind of conflict with either the United States or our allies like Japan and South Korea – to take over Taiwan, they're going to be able to do it all by themselves without a shot fired.
0: Fair enough. Well, listen, you are so great. I love when you come on this program. I I thank you from the bottom of my heart, and I speak for every New Yorker and every American thanking you for your great service. And please keep coming back and stay healthy, Colonel Jack. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks, Sid, for having me on the program. Oh,
0: come on. You're great. Colonel Jack Jacobs, that's the man right there, folks. God bless him.